الجزيرة بودكاست Ethnic violence has engulfed India's northeastern Manipur state since early May. More than 100 people have been killed and thousands displaced. So can New Delhi bring peace to this often overlooked part of the country? I'm Dari Nabogeda. You're listening to the Inside Story podcast, where we dissect, analyze, and help define major global stories. Let's now bring in our guest. Joining us from New Delhi is Bagat Oynam, who's a professor at Jawaharlal Nehru University. He's also chairperson of the Special Center for the Study of Northeast India. In Guwahati is Namjaho Kipkin, who's an associate professor of Indian Institute of Technology, Guwahati. His work focuses on ethnic identity, politics, and ethnic nationalism in Northeast India. And from Kolkata, we have Subir Bomek, who's a veteran journalist. He's recently been in Manipur state covering the conflict. Subir is also the author of two books on Northeast India, Insurgent Crossfire and Troubled Periphery. Warm welcome to you all. Thank you so much for your time. So Subir, with the internet shut down, accurate information obviously could be hard to come by. So I'll begin with you because you were just in Manipur earlier this week. Tell us what you saw and what the situation was like. Well, it was a nightmare for journalists because you may be able to get a lot of information on a running story like this, but if you can't transmit it out, sending back the story to where you want to turns out to be a nightmare. That's number one. But apart from that, what adds to the whole crisis is that with this internet shutdown, it's a rumor mill all over the state. And rumors are flying thick and fast. And when that happens in such a combustible, sensitive situation, it adds to the tension, it adds to the points of conflagration, it adds to the intensity of conflagration, and it also adds to the duration of conflict getting extended. Right, but you had ears and eyes on the ground, so what did you see? No, no, it was very clearly evident that the state is still in the midst of a substantial chaos. The law and order agencies are working. The you know Indian paramilitary forces are working. But there is obviously a major problem of coordination between the central paramilitary forces and the state police, which did not do very well when some policemen got carried away by ethnic passions and they you know, took out weapons from the police armory and gave it to people of their own communities, which has now added to a serious problem. Now, the central paramilitary forces are tasked with recovery of these weapons which went out of the police armory. But that's a very serious situation. When the police gets carried away by ethnic passions and get divided by ethnic passions, and weapons meant for police, authorized use of police personnel, goes out to rioters and mobs, that's a very dangerous thing, and it becomes extremely difficult to control it. That's okay. precisely the case in Manipur. That okay. You don't see the violence dying away anytime soon. You know, it's, you know, the eruptions are taking place now and then, here and there. Why? Because a lot of people who should not have weapons have weapons, and they're out to settle scores. Okay, just stand by for a moment. Let me bring in Nam Jahao uh, to tell us, let, let's take a step back and help us understand what's behind this current bout of violence, and, and how would you describe the current divisions? Are they, are they primarily ethnic? Well, the situation, the unrest which is unfolding in the Manipur, uh, one of the northeastern states of India, which border 
the uh, India and Myanmar has been the gripped by ethnic classes between the dominant valley-based metal people and the uh, Kukizo communities uh, who belongs to the settled tribe uh, since Metar. So, uh, uh, well, going going back to you know uh, how it began uh, in, in in April uh, in in Metart, uh, a protest which was organized by the old tribal student union uh, Manipur against the ST status uh, demand for the Metes uh, happened to so violence which began in uh, the Churchampu district border when the, some miscreants burned the Anglo Kukiwar centenary post, uh, which is uh, which has very uh, symbolic significance to the Kuki community. Now, more than 40 days now, uh, at least 100 people have been killed so far, hundreds more injured, and tens of thousands have been internally displaced uh, since third May evening. And okay. I also want to add that uh, the, the use of you know mortar bombs, snipers, drones, gas per vehicles on the innocent cookie villages uh, shows a full-blown out war weights against the cookie Joe's communities and then what they have experienced in a sense can be akin to a mini Ukraine uh, or, or a war zone which is being already been uh, more or less declared. Let's bring in Bagat um, uh, to give us your point of view on the situation. And uh, it sounds like the High Court's directive to the Manipur government seems to be the immediate trigger for, uh, for the latest round of violence between the Maites and the Kukis. But to what extent do you think, or can you tell us about the anger that's been simmering for a long time now? Yeah, it's, it's a very complex uh, affair. That initial uh, ignition was... Uh, against uh, giving of what you call as scheduled tribe status to this majority Maites and the protest by the uh, the tribal communities. Uh, it all happened in all the hill districts, but somehow the violence erupted, unfortunately, in the Kuki-Jo-dominated areas. But uh, this is not the issue. Uh, this somehow was a triggering point, for, and I still do not understand why such an issue would have led to violence, because this is a constitutional apparatus, constitutional issues, which we could have fight it out in the court of law. We could go and uh, uh, argue out that so-and-so community must not be given or must be given. There is always an ample democratic space to look into. Uh, what one wonder is now today, it is around almost 42 days, and the violence still does not seem to uh, stop. There is always a possibility of spurting of violence at any point of time. And this I see as twofold reasons. One is more of an ideological or political uh, uh, discourse, a conflicting discourse which has perpetuated this violence. And second is what is happening in the ground. So quickly to the first point is the Kukijou communities uh, whose population is around seven to eight lakhs uh, had been asking for quite some time uh, separate administration uh, to be away from what you call the government of Manipur. Right. And on the other hand, uh, the majority Maites uh, 
are against separation of the territoriality of this state of Manipur, because it was a kingdom earlier before it became part of India. So uh, when British left this part of the region, Manipur was an independent kingdom, which became part of India in 1949. Okay, let me just no jump in there, Bhagat, for the sake of time, for the sake of time, let me just jump, jump in there with one more question to you before I bring in my other guests. I mean, how do you respond to claims that over the past few months, the Manipur government has uh, reportedly taken actions and decisions which generate a sense of discrimination and insecurity among the Kuki community? Respond to those claims. There is no discrimination. I do not understand what that discrimination is all about. The issues of scheduled tribe status uh, to be given to the majority Métis could always be fought, fight out, uh, discussed out through institutional mechanism. But I'm more concerned with the kind of violence that has been erupting for an issue which is uh, not supposed to bring any violence at the end at this point. Okay, let me bring in Nam Jahao. Let me bring in Nam Jahao uh, for a moment, because Nam Jahao, the Maite community, uh, if, uh, even though they constitute, as, as we were saying a moment ago, they constitute 53% of the population, they're only confined to about 10% of the land in the valley. So do you think that the disproportionate distribution between the Maite community and the tribes people is really the crux or one of the cruxes of the problem? Yeah, because uh, the demand for this SG status, uh, the tribals does not have uh, any uh, issue or problem as such uh, in the real sense of the term. But uh, the uh, more, you know, the larger agenda, the larger uh, problem which the tribal communities feel is that they are in a way apprehensive that if the ST status is being given to the Métis communities, uh, who are much more advanced, who are, who are much more politically dominant, and they also, you know, represent, uh, you know, uh, 40 seats out of the 60 seats of the state assembly. So they are, in a way, a much more, you know, uh, better and then, uh, uh, you know, uh, positioned. So hence okay. the cookie communities and then the tribal communities in general are apprehensive that uh, this, this particular, you know, granting of ST status in some way would allow them to you know have or own a land or have access to the tribal lands so therefore the constitutional provisions that is article 371c which uh, has protected the uh, tribal communities of their land that is not allowing the non-tribals to own or access to land in the hill areas. So okay, Subir, Subir, let's talk about the government's response yeah. with you, because some say that the Prime Minister, uh, Subir Narendra Modi, has appeared somewhat indifferent to the situation. He, he, there's been no meeting, there's been no visit to the area. Uh, when the violence began, he was campaigning elsewhere in the country. Um, why do you think that there has been... Uh, silence on the part of the of the, the prime minister well actually to be fair to the prime minister this is a matter which is not in his domain it's something that is the modi style that he tends to get involved even in small affairs of remote states and he wants to project an aura and therefore when things go wrong people tend to accuse him the problem here is pretty simple and straight. It's a complete failure of the state government, which incidentally is run by the BJP. And they have not only understood the dynamics of Manipur properly, 
They have tried to impose their set pattern of Delhi. So what was essentially an ethnic crisis, they have tried to project it as a religious crisis. What was something between Metis and Kukis, they have tended to show it as a Hindu-Christian thing, which is a very wrong way of dealing with this problem. The other main issue here is that they have not tried to come up with a political settlement, political solution, or even attempted to start an inter-ethnic dialogue, by which I mean a dialogue between the different communities which are at loggerheads with each other. Right, now, if you sub, just deploy security right, Subir, forces do people, do people and take a in Manipur, approach, Do people in Manipur only, actually have confidence in the BJP state government from what you saw? Well, without getting into party politics, I can fairly clearly say that both communities today have grave reservations about the present state government. And therefore, and they feel that the government first did not have any idea that this will erupt in such a violent way. Secondly, when it erupted, they could not get a grip on the situation fairly soon. And even when the central forces came in large numbers, this problem is continuing. And partly because some politicians on either side are trying to fan the flames for their own vested interests. So okay. it's a clear failure of the state government. Bagat, do you agree with that? This is a failure of the state gover government. And, and what do you think that New Delhi should be doing at this point? It's, see, I mean, it's easy to blame the state. But how it all happened, uh, nobody seems to be bothered. The whole issue came up in, in reality since 2021. Uh, state governments drive against uh, cultivation of opium poppies, which finally leads to production of drugs, heroines, and others, and international trade of narco-terrorism that has been in operation. So the state government tried to stop the cultivation of the op opium poppies, and somehow this has irritated a big nexus of the mafias, politicians, and several others, uh, even terrorist groups included. So these forces went together all along against the state government and created a havoc of what you call a violence, which is on ethnic line, uh, artificially created, constructed violence. But the real issue behind is this drive by the state government against cultivation of what you call the poppies. Subir, and jump in there briefly, because I saw you shaking your head on the point uh, that my guest from New Delhi was saying. Just give us your comments briefly, please. Well, I don't really buy this thesis that uh, this whole crisis erupted because the state government was trying to stop, stop poppy cultivation. A, you know, a lot of Burmese drugs come into Manipur and a lot of important people are involved with these kind of gangs. They patronize these people. You know, the police officer, the lady police officer who had to resign, Tanajam Brinda, has a detailed story to say. Very powerful people are involved in this drug trade, and therefore, it's a misnomer to blame some tribal community for you know, planting poppy. Why they are doing it? Because there is no crop alternative which the government has been even able to give to this poor you know, uh, sort of tribal farmers. Okay, thank you for uh, that. Let me bring in Nam Jauhao. 
Let me just bring in Nam Jaha for the sake of time. Uh, let's look yeah. at the bigger picture and talk yeah. about uh, the um, whether this violence threatens not only, uh, obviously it threatens Manipur, but what about the neighboring states and the region? Uh, before going to that, uh, can I just add a few lines to uh, the Manipur Very briefly, very briefly. Yeah. So uh, I uh, totally agree with uh, Mr. Bahomik when he says that uh, the, the angle of this narco-terrorism or all these things hardly involved in this violence. Because uh, we can actually see that the collapse of law and order from day one. And we also see that there is uh, an ample evidence uh, to suggest that there are two radical uh, groups, namely the militant, uh, the Meiti Lipund and Arambai Tangled, who are, you know, being considered as the militant organizations. Uh, and then uh, in, in one of the interview and uh, the, the Facebook post uh, made by Pramod Singh with the chairman of the Miti Lipund uh, openly incited his followers uh, within quote to annihilate our traditional rival on the hills. So this, in a sense, uh, uh, happened to, you know, uh, uh, be, be not just a mere occurrence, but this happened to be, you know, a pre-planned and a well-calculated move uh, uh, of, of, of these radical organizations with, with, with in connivance with the, the Okay, state, just on to uh, my question, uh, please. Okay. Just on to my question. Let's get on to what, what this means for the neighboring states, as well as India as a whole, if the violence continues. See, uh, uh, this is going to have, uh, you know, larger ramifications, not only in the state of uh, Manipur as such. And of course, the hill and valley has been uh, divided uh, for, for since colonial period, they have been administratively friendly, and uh, you know in the post-colonial period they have been you know uh, brought into the same institutional arrangement. But even after 75 years of India's independence, I don't see uh, any 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 sort of you know uh, coexistence or or any you know uh, trust building or inclusive uh, forms of you know agendas on the part of you know, either sides of the community. Now, coming to your questions, uh, one can actually see that there's a lot of ideological proximity. For instance, if I bring in, you know, the uh, Meiti insurgents group like the Kangli Park Communist Party, which are also, you know, involved in a larger drug and gun network, which, which also involve uh, many of the, you know, the Chinese and, and, and also other insurgents groups, namely the UNLF or the PLA, via the military junta in Myanmar. So therefore, this sort of nexus and uh, ideological you know, proximity, in some sense, can uh, disestablish or destabilize India's okay. border in the long run. Fine. Bagat, do you agree with that? Is it fair to say that the, this yes. can have ripple effects and destabilization for the geopolitics of, uh, of sort of the region there? Yeah, you, 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 see, you should see the picture, the larger picture, what is happening is in Myanmar, there is a civil war. The military junta is all out offensive against the minority communities and also this group PDF, in which two kitchen groups are also there. And many of this, both the militants as well as civilian population has moved into Indian side. So is in Bangladesh, there has been a military offensive against the Chin Puki military groups. So there is, already violence in the neighboring two countries. And many migration, illegal migration, you may say, what you may call it refugee, but India has not taken cognizance of this. So this population has come in in a large number. And many of the armed groups who have come in 
are with sophisticated weapons. And this is creating a major havoc in the territoriality inside the country. And this, I say again, the narco-terrorism is also linked with this. I'm not okay. blaming the poor farmers, but the whole mafia, the nexus, the international nexus, and Manipur has become the second golden triangle. And this is something, a very serious matter for the entire international community. Subir, so in the absence of a political settlement up until this point, uh, what's going to happen next? Well, I can say I, I agree with the gentleman who spoke just now, is that unless India is in a position to influence peacemaking in Myanmar, you know, it can't just solve the Manipur problem all by itself because he's right. As the uh, Burmese military junta gets more and more aggressive and the fighting gets more intense in provinces adjoining Manipur and Mizoram, the two Indian states, where a lot of refugees have come in, you know, this problem cannot be controlled. There is also a drug angle to this. But as far as political solution is concerned, government of India has to take an initiative both in Myanmar, because it can connect to the military, it can connect to the other political parties and the ethnic rebel groups. So India cannot just wait and watch, which is the other name of strategic inaction, and leave everything to the ASEAN. India, in its own interest, has to take an initiative for peacemaking in Myanmar. And also in Manipur, it should get a dialogue going between the different communities, there you know, cutting across that suggest, party political lines. Okay, Namjahao, there are reports that suggest that the BJP's local representative who belongs to the Kuki community has asked the federal government uh, to impose a separate administration over the hill areas in Manipur. How likely is that to happen, do you think? Uh, uh it is not just the BJP MLA, but there are, you know, uh, 10 Kukizo MLS, and then seven of them from, you know, the uh, ruling BJP uh, MLS. So all of them have taken a stance after this uh, violence has started. And then even one of the uh, uh, Kuki minister was uh, almost lynched and killed by, you know, the mob. So now they are taking a stance uh, that uh, they do believe in the leadership of uh, Modian's uh, government in the center, but they no longer believe in the uh, the uh, leadership of uh, Chief Minister Anbirian Singh. So therefore, uh, they 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 have been demanding and 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 uh, in consultation with the civil society organizations and then uh, various other stakeholders and uh, uh, the the separate administration is the only solution uh, at at this point of time. Now, okay. if uh, as as I had earlier said that you know uh, the 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 uh, seventy five years of independence where the Kukizo ethnic groups has been uh, living together with you know the the valley counterparts, then we could see a lot of socioeconomic disparities due to underrepresentation. Okay, I'll have and to also, just jump in there. I apologize. Uh, we have about yeah. thirty seconds remaining, and I do want Bagat to give us the final word. How do you think it's going to play out? You only have about thirty seconds or so, Bagat. Yeah, just the peace has to be the, our priority at this point, but peace cannot be brought out unless people are disarmed. I mean, both in the hills as well as in the valley, uh, the militants groups have come up. And particularly in the hills, there are several insurgents, military group terrorist organizations 
who are having dialogue with government of India. So they have to be disarmed. And also the public who have taken up arms, uh, they need to be disarmed. Unless you disarm the people, uh, the violence may likely to continue. And the peace can only be possible if you stop this uh, menace. Okay, on that uh, final word, we'll have to leave it there. Thank you so much for my guests for joining us. Bagato Oinam, thank you. Namjahao Kipkin and Subir Bamuk, we appreciate your time. This episode was produced by Joseph John, Umikonsum Sharif, Fungin Guyen, and Paul Taylor. Studio sound was by Alvaro Galan Madrid. The program was edited by Alexander Otashevich, Lin Guyen, and Joda Frias. Be sure to subscribe to the Inside Story podcast to catch every episode. Thank you for listening. Tune in on Friday for our next episode. This week on The Take, what young defectors are telling the world about what life is like for North Koreans. That's The Take by Al Jazeera. Follow us wherever you listen to podcasts.